Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I have a guest, the long, a long-rumored guest we've been, that we've been talking about for the past several episodes. So today, Catherine from the Gilmore Guide is going to be joining us, Gilmore Guide to Books, right? And we are going to be talking about the ubiquitous use of girls in the title of just every book. <laughs> Just all the books, all the girls, girl, wife, all the girls everywhere. <laughs> right. And, and I'm going to make that girl, wife or daughter. Oh my gosh. My list would have been even longer. My list is even longer when you do girl, wife or daughter. <laughs> and I could explode it by adding woman. Right. Yes. Right. right, right I think right. we'll oh. have to save those women for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, we will start off the way we normally do. Let's do a little round robin of what we have been reading. Um, Gail, you want to start us off? Sure. So I'm still in my weird, like, reading paralysis. So um, on audio, I'm a little bit over halfway through Michelle Obama's Becoming. It is a definitely a commitment. It's like a 19-hour audio, and I'm I'm doing it in audio, not in print, so it's taking a while. But it is so, so, so good. And I'm loving it. I know. You sent me a text when um, she meets our boyfriend. Yes, yes. She when they, who's your boyfriend? Our collective. Her husband. Reader, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yes. Got it. I'm yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. We have a little crush going on, on, on Barack, but like the, yes, the part where she and Barack like fall in love and he proposes, it's so sweet. So I'm at the part right now where he has just basically declared his candidacy for president and Michelle, who's kind of been this reluctant politician's wife, never wanted that for her family, never wanted it for her. She kind of is forced to get on board because, I mean, her husband's running for president. It's not much more she can do. So that's where I am right now. I obviously won't talk too much about this until we, till I finish. And I know um, Nicole is reading this for book clubs in a, in a month. When, are you, when is your meeting? No, it's at the end of this month. So I'm actually going to start today. So when we finish, um, we can discuss this. Catherine, have you read Becoming yet? I I did the same thing you did. I listened to it and I absolutely loved it. I, yeah. I just thought it was marvelous. Um, every minute of it, she just was. She's an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I was going to do it in print, and then I was listening to the currently reading podcast, and one of them was like, "Listen, if you're going to do this, do it on audio." They said we really, really urge you to do it on audio. So I was like, "Oh, fine. It's 19 hours, and it's so worth it." Oh, absolutely. Because for me, it was 19 hours of getting her voice in my head and reminding me of when we had grace and dignity and intelligence (laughs) in the White House. So I loved listening to her. She calmed me down. Uh, Yeah, I thought the listening was wonderful. Yes. So, okay, so I'm doing that on audio. Um, I am reading this book called The Ones We Choose, which is I'm not reading it particularly fast. It's kind of like my hair drying reading. 
Um, but it's good. It's I think I mentioned to you, it's about a woman whose son was conceived with a sperm donor and now her son starting to ask questions about like who's his father and it's sort of all about identity and fatherhood and things like that. It's pretty good. And then, um, and actually Catherine, I bought that in the um, LA Bay bookstore. That was like an impulse buy off the shelf. So I just, oh, someone, had, okay. yeah, someone, it was there. I looked it up on Goodreads, I got good reviews. So I bought it. And then oh, Nicole, good. I'm, I'm giving up on reading hungover. <laughs> and I skimmed to his hangover concoction and I'm going to Xerox it or, you know, make a copy of it. And then that's that. Like it just, it, the book was too meandering. It was too, not my style. I had hoped that this would be the one that was going to knock the self-help category off my reading challenge, but it is not. So I figure I just get what I need out of it and then move on. I love when Gail DNFs books. It's so rare. <laughs> it's so rare. Yeah, and it's you're so always satisfying. so supportive. Is this your, your second one that you didn't finish this year? I feel like we've yeah, said this about what was the other else. one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had started you're just, reading Where the, the Sun Does Shine. And right. it was like just, it was a timing issue. It wasn't that it was a bad book. It was a timing issue. Right. But yes. You, and you're always you just, so supportive when I DNF. So thank she's you. She's a rebel this year. <laughs> wow. I mean, my gosh. So you are anti-DNF or it's just antithetical to your personality? Well, I always feel like I've already invested the time and I don't want to quit. And once I start, I don't know, I guess my personality. Okay. But this year I'm... I'm I made this reading vow this year, which was I was only going to read books that were like really, really highly reviewed and rec- or and or recommended by people I trust. And okay. um, for the most part, I have stuck to that, and I've, it's, I've been very rewarded by that. The Hungover book was something I wanted to read because um, I just was curious to know what his cure was. And um, so it's not like that came from a you know some third party. And I think you know just it's it's if you like meandering travelogues about people who do adventure things in other countries in the search of some strange remedy, then that's your book, but that's not me. So I need to to move on. Got it. (laughs) Now, one more book that I want you to mention, because one of our listeners actually wrote into the blog to ask you, what was the name of the book that has, you've been had out on hold for the last six months? Oh, I, yes. And I returned it. Um, Let's see. That book was called Life Moves. What was that book called? It's by Hadley Freeman, and it's a book about '80s movies. Life moves pretty fast. Life moves pretty fast, right? It's the Ferris Bueller quote. Um, yeah. So I returned it, but I also bought it from some used bookstore somewhere. So oh. I, yeah. So that will be back in the house, and I will eventually read it. But it is safely back at the DC Public Library at this point. So what about you, Catherine? What are you reading? I am about halfway through the care and feeding of ravenously hungry girls. Ooh, Ooh, I want to read that. Yeah, by Anissa Gray. It is so good. I'm really loving it. I never know anymore whether to trust blurbs. Um, You tend, (laughs) I don't know, you know, they tend to not pan out. This one compared this book to um, The Mothers and An American Marriage. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I can see why. It's about a black family in Michigan, and the parents 
owned a store and a restaurant and were really uh, kind of pillars of the community and did a lot of charitable work. And they've just been found guilty of um, all kinds of fraud and embezzlement. And they're, they're, they're in prison when the book starts. And the novel is dealing with, the mother's name is Althea, and her mother died when she was 12. And she raised her two sisters and her brother. And so now they're going to prison. They have two teenage daughters. And what happens to them? So the family is kind of coming back together. And even within this basic premise, of course, there's so much bits of the past are coming up things that happened between the brother and the sisters. Um, the daughters are really struggling, and there's a big, I won't say what it is, but it's right in the beginning, but there's a big deal about how they ended up going to prison, which mm. is, you know, really compelling. And it's just, it's really well written. I'm enjoying her writing a great deal, but it covers all the kind of things I love, family dynamics, family dysfunction, uh, the injustice of the justice system for people of color, because the sentence they've been given is wildly out of proportion to the crime. Um, and then you bring in the past. It's, I'm, I'm really pleased. Oh, good. I'm I'm looking forward to reading that. And like you said, with blurbs, you never know. And I did see that comparison. And that comparison is sort of incredible. An American Marriage and the Mothers. That just had me salivating over that. But also, like, is that accurate? So I'm so happy to hear you say that. I was going to say, Nicole, it, it is. Um, at least at this stage, as I said, I'm at about 50, 60%. So... Right. Also, slowly getting through a nonfiction book uh, that I heard about, Seminasty, by mm-hmm. Erin Gibson. And, okay, she's incredibly funny, even as she's making points that are not funny. So I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying her take on the um, the world from the viewpoint of a woman. The, the sub subtitle is The Complicated Woman's Guide to Surviving the Patriarchy Without Drinking Herself to Death. <laughs> and, and she really, she goes into some subjects that I didn't even know about or think about that impact us as women. Um, so that's, that's about, I generally tend to do two, no more than two books and usually one nonfiction and one fiction. Otherwise, it just gets all tangled in my brain yeah yeah it's definitely hard but you've got too many things going at once right i know people who read three four books at a time guilty and I'm just not in are you oh my gosh good for you i just start getting them confused thinking wait was what was the motivation of this person oh no that's the other book and i just so i try and give myself a break and just do two those sound like good ones. Now I want to read Feminasty. I've been talking a lot. I feel like I've had lots of conversations about patriarchy lately. And, and I think we will in the rest of this podcast. Right. It's, it's entirely likely. <laughs> well, it's a conversation that I guess needs to happen and is long overdue. Um, 
Yeah. All right. How about you, Nicole? So I'm stuck in Pride and Prejudice land. I realize that I like it, right? You know, since I'm having all these conversations about the patriarchy and, you know, reading these articles, one of which we discussed um, when we dis- we discussed the Dan Mallory article about how this man just basically lied through his career and just kept making advances. <laughs> And he wrote a woman book that is now, you know, like it's going to be a movie. Um, his second book is going to be coming out, you know, um, Woman in the Window will be coming out in paperback. So I don't know. I mean, I just feel like lately I've just been reading about all of these incredible scandals that for the most part were have been perpetuated by white men where people, yeah, just because of who they are, because of, you know, like whatever celebrity status or fear of missing out or for whatever reasons, people just sort of jump on the bandwagon of these things and, you know, give these people money when they really don't have the track record to support what they're trying to do, which is interesting. Yeah. I just learned learned about Dan Mallory uh, maybe a a week ago and I, I loved that book. Right, when I right. Read everything about him. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then you, then you hear that the plot is like ripped off from some 1995 movie that, of course, I have not seen. Oh, is um, that right? Oh. That's where the plot of the book came from. Yeah, yeah. They're saying that a majority of yeah, I, that New York. I think it's mentioned. I don't know which article you read. I read the long, you know, like I don't know, eight. They said it was like. 20,000, 30,000 words, this New Yorker article, 12,000, which is really long. And I, I think it was... The gar- it was in The Guardian. Right. It went into his brain cancer that he said he had. He lied about his credentials and where... His mother dying. Worked. He had a PhD. His mother... Oh, my gosh. And the weird thing is, it's not yeah. like he was just an author that was you know, uh, working with an agent and trying to get, he, he was a, he was a publishing executive. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I believe so. He was an editor at little Brown, right? Yeah. Uh, I think he was at, was he at Harper? Because I think Morrow published his book and they said that I think a little Brown dropped out. Everyone dropped out when they realized who they were, would be dealing with. So so, yeah, so I've just been, basically I'm reading Unmarriageable and then I started rereading Pride and Prejudice, you know, the print book, but also listening to the Rosamund Pike um, audio version, which I, I love. So that's what I've been doing. What did you think about Unmarriageable? Did you finish it or you're reading it now? I'm still reading it now. I really like it. Yeah, I really like it. It's all it's. So far, you know, I don't know. I really liked Eligible too, but I didn't like the last little bit of it. So I don't know if if something is coming up that will make me like it a little less, but so far so good. Yeah, I think for me, it was the opposite. I was okay with it or on the fence with it through not most of it, but a lot of it. And then towards the end. You liked it? Yeah, she started just, dealing oh what do I want to say more realistically with modern day issues in Pakistan. Mm. And I appreciated that. Whereas 
you know, she held really true to the Austin um, in the beginning in that all those characters are, are so, they're just taken right out of Jane Austen with the names changed a little bit, but the mother is just as dreadful as she was. It, it just felt like she was following right along in the mold of Pride and Prejudice. And then towards the end, she really, she did break it out. I feel like I, I don't mind. With Pride and Prejudice, I never mind how close you stay. I mean, I really like that she grounded it in Pakistani culture. Like, the names were changed, but I felt like I did learn a lot about how hierarchy might have changed, you know, with them going from rich to poor and how they were viewed. And um, Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way she grounded the book, so I'm excited to see that she's going to get even deeper into things. And it was also sort of meta and funny because, you know, of course, Alice Bennett is a teacher, and a lot of the time she's using the Pride and Prejudice text or other Austin works to sort of make various points. Right. That's cute. Which is right. fun. All right, so we've got some questions for Catherine. First of all, let's ground this conversation a little bit more. Catherine runs a book blog called The Gilmore Guide to Books. How long have you been blogging, Catherine? It's hard to believe, but six and a half years. Mm. I'm really surprised (laughs) that I've stuck with it that long, but there you have it. So Catherine knows Sarah from Sarah's bookshelves and they frequently exchange and, and follow each other's tastes and Gail and I follow both of them. I think I probably skew closer. Catherine and I probably skew closer than Sarah and I because Sarah sort of gives up on things more quickly than I think Catherine and I do. <laughs> no, that's true. Sarah's a bit more fast paced. Right. And I think that we tend to appreciate the slower books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You are both extremely fast readers. Well, there, there is that. I, I do read quickly, but I appreciate, I'm fine with a character study. Right. I don't mm-hmm. need, if, if it's well done. If it's not well done, then I'm DNF all over the place. I do plenty of that. Sarah needs a certain amount, likes a certain amount of plot and pace and things moving forward. Right. Mm-hmm. More than I do. I'm good with a character study too, as long as I know what it is. You know, I think with publishing and with marketing and with blurbs, people can try to take, you know, what's most exciting about a book and really hype it up. And sometimes the book is not that. And that's always frustrating because if you go into something with a, you know, with a certain picture in your head or a certain type of mood, it's like, oh, well, this is a really different book. And once I readjust my expectations, sometimes that's, you know, that's better. It's like, okay, so this is really not a murder mystery. It's sort of this quiet family, family story where something has occurred, you know? I agree. Yeah, I definitely like the characters. I definitely like the character stuff too. Um, I I think uh, I think if I were to average out, I definitely hew pretty close to your recommendations, Catherine. I think sometimes you and I have a rare departure where I'll like something and you didn't, or vice versa. But generally, I think you know you are one of my go-to sources, and you know you read things so in such a timely way, like you're always very good about reading them right when things come out. So I'm kind of always like, well, before I commit to something, let's see what Catherine <laughs> thought about it. 
<laughs> Thank you. I'm so flattered. Yeah, I try and yeah, I know so many people that get their advanced copies and read them and review them right away, like months in advance. But I guess because I started so long ago, the publishers used to really hate it if you did that. And I just was yeah. told one too many times, please don't publish your review until a week before the release. And so now it's just habit. Even if I've read the book earlier, I'll write the review and save it until closer in to the release date. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got, I'm sitting on the <laughs> J. Ryan Straddle book, the new one. And, and there's already reviews reason, of it up there. On there are reads. reviews, but she told me don't review, don't even talk about it until July. So I haven't even cracked it. Like it's just sitting there. I was going to say, I just got it. I was going to email you and tell you, Gail, I just got approved and got my copy. I'm so excited. But like and, you, I won't, yeah, I won't touch it. I won't yeah. think about it. What is your, um, based on what it's about, are you excited about it? Because I'm not for some reason. And I think I'll I, like it. <laughs> I read the synopsis pretty quickly. I'm a little hesitant. Yeah. I, I'm not worried. But like you, I'm just like, Oh, huh. Yeah. Is this going to work for me or, and it's so hard when you love the previous book that much. Right. And I feel like nothing is, yeah, the bar is so high. I don't know what it is he could come out with that. Like, I'm just nervous in general. It could be any synopsis and I'd be nervous. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's ask Catherine some questions that we have for her. Um, and we're going to use these questions whenever we have a guest on the show so that they'll know what to expect coming on. But um, the first question was, what are you reading now? So we know that you're reading The Care, what is it, The Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls? The Care and Feeding, yep. Care and Feeding, right, and Feminacy, okay. So, so The Care and Feeding, is it's a girl title. So just really quickly, do you oh. feel that that girl <laughs> title is warranted? The ravenously hungry girls, is it appropriate or is it just sort of gratuitous use of girls to get people interested in this book? Interesting. I'm going to say it's warranted because the focus is on the three women, the three sisters. In fact, if I think about it, are they girls? They're the only speakers. No, they're in their 40s. <laughs> so they're they're women, but I don't know. I I throw the word girl around a lot for Me friends too. and things. So I don't I don't quite think. Oh my gosh, you can't be a girl because inside I feel like a girl. Yeah. Time. Oh yeah, I go so out with my girls all the time. Right. It also wouldn't work. The care and feeding of ravenously hungry women might be a little might be a little weird. <laughs> You're right. That sounds way more serious and a little dangerous. Um, like witchy, I don't know. But I I do think the part that I'm hesitating over is the care and feeding of ravenously hungry. I'm not sure what that means yet. Right. Um, but the girls part, yes, it's the story of the three sisters. So I'm, I'm okay with that one. How's that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gail. Will you give us the question again? Yeah. Uh, no, that was just, what are you reading now? So we did that one. But the next okay. question is, tell us an author that you've read 
all of their books? That one is, is pretty easy, but it's funny because it's not necessarily my wheelhouse. I tend to think I like a lot of literary fiction, but if mm-hmm. I have to think of an author where I've read everything they've written, immediately it's Elizabeth George, and she writes um, mystery novels. It's the Inspector Lindley series, and it's set in Great Britain. There are 20 of them. They're all easy. Mammoth. Five, yes. 500 pages. 500 pages. And I love them because it isn't, it, it's about the mystery, but she also has this amazing cast of characters and develops their lives and focuses on them in the books as well. So you're following this group along. And I also, probably I read the first 10 before I learned that she is American and lives in Seattle. And this was before we moved here, but I would have thought she was British. The slang, the everything, and apparently she goes there for two or three months a year, which who wouldn't love that to do her research. But um, yes, she is American. And she's kind of like Louise Penny, who is another mystery writer that I like. I like these mystery writers that get as much into the lives and the psychological development of the characters as they do the murder and, and what, who did what. Do you read the Deborah Crombie series, any of her novels? No. She's really good like that. I really love her. Um, I feel like I would like Elizabeth George. I flipped through some of her things and she does write mysteries that seem to be on the, you know, Heading towards the literary side. That's a good way to put it. Exactly. I'm glad to hear you say this because I'm always, always intrigued by whenever she has a book come out, you know, intrigued by the premise or they look like they, they would be good, but you know, should I risk it because they're so long? So to hear you say this, this is really good for me. Well, and the other thing both she, Elizabeth George and Louise Penny do is there's humor. Their characters are a little snarky, um, in some cases full-on eccentric, but Inspector Lindley's, um, I don't know what she's called, his second command, she's just amazing. She is just rude. Um, She just reads so funny, but she gets to the bottom of things, and I absolutely love her. Um, So, yes. Elizabeth George and I would I don't even hesitate I don't read the synopsis if she's coming out with a book I'm going to read it nice okay next question tell us a book that everyone else has read but you haven't oh gosh okay (laughs) I hope you two don't get mad at me Harry Potter oh I haven't read that either neither have I you haven't okay (laughs) oh wow you're in good three people in the world (laughs) right (laughs) that haven't read I just, everyone else I know has read them and adored them. And some of them are completely obsessed by them and the movies. And they just never appealed to me. And now that I have the blog and I don't have time. My backlist reading list is just so huge. I, you know, maybe when I'm in a nursing home, I can have an assistant, a caregiver, read them to me. But I just don't see myself picking them up and reading them. Oh, my gosh. I fell asleep during the movie. Oh, you did? <laughs> the first movie. That's I kept, a clue. 
I kept saying I'd read them with my kids. And then my girls, I don't know, one of them read one, but none of them got that into him. So then we tried with my son, who's only six. And I think he was just too young for him. So I keep saying, all right, well, when he's a little older, maybe we'll try them. But yeah, just I have really no major desire to do it. Right. Right. But the people who have, boy, they love them. Yeah, they do. I know. I know. I think at one point, I, I probably have the first book because I think I, at one point I had probably decided, okay, got to sit down and read this book and see what is going on. And I didn't get past the first chapter. I don't know. Maybe it was a moment and I've just missed the moment. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, now is your chance to tell us a book that you hated that everyone else liked. All right. I can go two directions here. The book that everyone else not only liked, but loved, and the critics loved. I didn't hate it. I just, it didn't hold me. And that was Homegoing mm-hmm. by, is it Yah? Yah Jesse. Yah Jesse. I started it, and it was just a matter of, um, I had trouble keeping track of all the characters and the timeline, which doesn't usually happen to me, but I lost interest, and so I, I was able to just set it aside, and when anybody talks about it, I kind of just have to look down and, and hope they don't ask me, because it didn't work for me at all. Um, but hate is not the right word. If, if we wanted to delve into hate, as in wanted to throw it across the room, a book that a lot of people loved, but I know it was many didn't and that was Kristen Hanna's The Great Alone which Hmm. that book made me nuts I loved the beginning I loved Alaska and the um, survivalist father and the relationship with her mother and everything but by 50% she just went in my mind bananas over the top operatic, operatic drama and it made me it just made me angry I, that book I hated, but I know people who didn't like it. So I don't feel like I'm so all alone on that one. I didn't hate, but I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't finish it. That's really interesting. I haven't started, I haven't read Homegoing. Gail read Homegoing. She really appreciated reading it. The Great Alone and The Nightingale are two books that I have on my list for this year because they're going to be made into movies this year. I think a movie's coming out. Um, the Nightingale, I loved. So I was wildly excited to read The Great Alone. And I mean, she, she's an amazing writer, but she just layered the drama on so thick, it became unbelievable to me. I really was like, you, you can't, no. <laughs> this is what's happening now. I cannot, you've lost credibility with me. So that book really, and actually I finished it as a hate read. I'm going to finish this. I'm hating it and I'm going to finish it. So (laughs) that's really funny. I feel that way about Carol Goodman's books. I mean, I don't hate them at the end, but she writes, she writes catnip for me. Like it's always these women who are on some college campus somewhere and they're studying something obscure, like, I don't know, fairy tales and how they affect you or just some, some 
topic that I just really enjoy hearing her write about. And she's so good for like three quarters of the book. And then just wild stuff starts happening in the in the end. And I'm just sort of like, really, Carol? But I, I still read them. I have ever read her. Oh. I still read them. The one that I like the best, I think, I don't know if it was Arcadia Falls, but she also has this one that is sort of about this woman who is in, she's studying fairy tales and she's studying the myth or it's sort of like a retelling of the, is it the seven swans? There's some grim story where there's 12, the 12 swans or something and they get turned into birds and she has to knit these, these, um, these shirts made out of nettle in order. She has to knit 12 shirts made out of nettle in order to turn her brothers back. But she did this story where she sort of works that into, I guess, a modern day telling of that. So I really love how she does stuff like that. But the endings just get crazy. I'm like, what? (laughs) But I still read them. (laughs) Still read them. I might have to try one. You should. Interesting. So fun. All right, we have one last question to ask you, which is, if I came up to you and handed you a crisp $20 bill and pushed you into a bookstore, what would you buy? Well, we actually already covered this, and I almost jumped into it at the time, but I would buy Becoming Mm. by Michelle Obama because I listened to it. It was from the library, so I didn't get to keep it. But what what I had heard is the pros to both are with the audio, you get to hear Michelle. With the print, there are photographs. There are wonderful photographs. photographs. So uh, absolutely, I wouldn't even hesitate. And that is saying a lot because I'm not a book buyer. I used to be a librarian, and so I'm a huge library user, and I really don't buy many books at all. But without hesitation, I would buy Becoming. I have Becoming. I don't. I bought the book. I'll probably get the audio too. I'll probably do some kind of combination. I think I listened to a sample from the audio. Like I wish the pictures were bigger because I, of course, keep looking at them. I love the pictures, but it's worth, I mean, I just, just nice. I don't think I've looked at the pictures yet. Oh, you're in for a treat. And I would just love to to own it because I think I would go back to it, Mm -hmm. which is kind of my criteria. It's so easy as you guys know, as bloggers, to just accrue books. Mm -hmm. While I love them, I really have in recent years, well, because of moving, I really have had to get a lot tougher about what I keep and what I don't. Me too. um, I really, yeah, I just have to think, am I going to revisit this book? And do I want my own copy? Or could I just go to the library? And that's the books that I haven't read that I thought I was going to read where I had arcs. I give away those arcs. I add the title to my Goodreads list. And then when I'm in the library, I just look it up and I'll, I'll get the book at the library. But hanging on to arcs, I, that I really let go of. Um, Me too. If I don't read it in the month that it came out or the month after, it's got to go. I mean, because I'm always right. getting stuff. It's always like negotiating space. And, you know, as much as I love books, I also don't want, you know, a hoarder type situation. <laughs> right. And so, I, find, I just tell myself I'm, I'm 
sending them out into the world because my arcs I put in little free libraries around my neighborhood and I feel like okay I'm sending them out in the world and someone who will read it will discover it and then that makes me happy. I love that your neighborhood has multiple little free libraries. <laughs> it's crazy. There's a block there's yeah there's a square of about six blocks near my house where every block has a, a little free library. It's wonderful. <sighs> I have to yeah. come visit Seattle. <laughs> you, you should come in March. The snow will be gone by then and we'll be back to being normal, lovely, probably gray and rainy, but lovely Seattle. Okay. I've got to get, I've got to get there. I've got to see the needle. I haven't done a lot. I travel a lot, but I have not done a lot of the of the West. Oh, Seattle's the best. You'll love it. I, was gonna say, I love did Seattle. Did you enjoy it while you were here, Gail? Yeah, oh, good. I always do. I mean, I come not regularly, but uh, we have family there. So we try to make it out every couple of years. And I just, I adore Seattle. And such a good bookstore, too. Actually, there's multiple good bookstores, but I really do like the LA Bay bookstore. Yeah. It's great. It, it does. It's a good bookstore. All right, so we want to talk about today a phenomenon that Nicole and I have been commenting on and noticing for probably three years now, which is the trend of authors naming their books with some iteration of a generic woman in the title, whether it's a girl, woman, daughter, wife. It's, you know, um, been used in historical fiction, in thrillers, in uh, chiclet. Like it's a trend that has really, we think, taken hold in the book industry. So one of the things we were going to do was just chat about which are our favorite books that fall into that category. And I think we all have different ones that stand out to us as ones we like. But we also just want to talk about the trend. And, you know, I think we all have thoughts on it. I definitely have some thoughts about it. I don't like it. And I have thoughts about why. Um, and, and I understand know, just, it. And I have thoughts about why it happens and I'll yeah. share my theory. So let's talk thoughts. Well, I'm going to start by saying that a lot of the books, certainly the ones that I noted, like, Girl in the Train, Gone Girl, Wife Between Us, The Silent Wife. They are books about either women who have been victimized, you know, who are being either psychologically or physically uh, tortured by some sadistic, masochistic man. Or they're about women who are perpetrating some sort of, you know, crime or deception of their own. So with Gone Girl, you have very unreliable narrator who, and I hope I'm not spoiling anything for anyone, but I think, I think that's a spoiler. Read Girl has read that it. Is at a this point, they have to get over yeah. it. I think yeah. that anyone, right. Anyone who's going to read Gone Girl has read it. So you have a very manipulative woman who is orchestrating this whole thing. Um, Girl on the train, you have this unreliable narrator who's got all kinds of issues with alcohol and, and, you know, her own uh, victimhood, her, boyfriend left her or her husband, I can't remember. And so for me, what I don't like is this kind of dehumanization of females gets perpetuated through the title. 
So like whatever power the character has is kind of taken away by just calling her girl or wife or daughter. Um, there's a million things you can name a book. And I'm not saying they have to change the plot of the book, but I don't like the way the title sort of reinforces that notion of these women as being these kind of nameless, faceless victims. And it has kind of created a cottage industry around it. Like the publishing business has obviously seen, probably fueled a lot by Gone Girl, that these books sell. And so it just gets perpetuated. So I don't, that's my knee jerk is I don't like it. No, I, I'm with you 100%. I really don't like it because I feel like they use, it's, it's manipulative. The word woman, girl, wife being used in the title is a draw, but the man is the primary character in the story in that he's the one acting and the mm-hmm. woman is usually being acted upon. Right. He's the and defining. Exactly. It makes me ragey. I, I really, I don't like it. I mean, I would love it. I would love to see a, ra- a rash of father, husband, brother books where a hapless, damaged, vulnerable man is being manipulated by a woman because that's all that's happening in these books. I don't get the sense that these women have much agency. Although I guess in Gone Girl, well, Gone she Girl, does. she definitely does. Gone Girl, she did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. There's there, there's the outlier. You're right. She was totally in control of that. But there again, she was extremely damaged. She was not. I mean, she was twisted. Right. Which actually made me like her in that sense of those kind of books. I think, unfortunately, like my theory is, you know, in terms of from a marketing perspective, why are you naming these books? I mean, a marketer's job is to get as much attention as they can. And of course, they want sales of these books. And when they when you come across something that resonates with people, then that's your hook. But I think from a reader's perspective, you also kind of at this point, we all know what we're getting when we pick up a girl book, right? You know, the girl in the red coat, the girl with the dragon tattoo, which I think was before Gone Girl. I think that might have been, you know, the popu- the success of the Millennial series might have been contributed to this explosion of books with girl in the title. Um, so I, I also think that, you know, when you're in terms of it just sort of being when you're looking across the the room and you want to read a certain type of book, then you already, you know, if you see, you know, there's this book that came out, The Chalk Girl. I think that you already have an idea of what that book might be about. And if that's what you're looking for, it definitely simplifies things. I also think think that, you know, it's like, oh, if you see, you know, if I see the girl wherever, you know, like, um, the new Sarah Pekinen Greer Hendricks book is an anonymous girl. So you don't, I mean, already I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be some kind of psychological thriller or, and I guess the less cynical part of me wants to say that it's easy to, you know, for women who I feel like women have certain roles that we've defined for them. And that if you're looking for a particular kind of book, or if you're in a particular kind of mood, that role is going to point you where you might need to go. Like, 
if we're talking about sisters, though, you know, there's now there's so many sisters, the, this sister, the, that sister, the, this daughter or another. I think that we have certain ideas of what that book is going to be about. I I agree. I mean, I think it leads back to it's a little it's manipulative, but isn't that what marketing is kind of about? I mean, right. if we saw <laughs> too many titles with father or husband, I'd probably think, oh, God. I don't want to read that. That's going to be all about a man and he's going to be the focus, which would then make it an interesting twist if it wasn't the case, but I don't see it. Unfortunately, I feel like with men, they feel like they can be more interesting or have interesting titles or things are just not about the fact. Not that it's not about the fact that they're, that they are a man, but it's almost like titles with men where a man is driving the story are more worthy of the thought to put together right, a compelling alternate title. Yeah. There's a creativity. I mean, when I think when I was looking for, okay, books that have man as a role or man in the title, and they just really don't exist. I mean, you see them for boys. I noted, you know, I think the boy in the striped pajama mm-hmm. every now oh, and then mm-hmm. in mystery thriller, you get the man who, did whatever, whatever, but there's just not very many of them. I mean, and when you think about the male writers and um, when you think, I guess, about popular male writers, their titles are always something that is complicated. And, and there is no, you know, there's no doubt that people will find and seek out these titles, but with women, it's just sort of like, yeah, girls. That's so depressing. Do you think it's just because most of this fiction is bought by women, and so they just figure, make it sound like someone they can relate to? Possibly, well, but in a way, it also feels like dumbing down. Let's, let's put yeah. wife in the title, and they'll buy it. Let's put girl in the title, and they'll buy it. Yeah, that bothers me that I agree. It feels like it's not giving enough credit to an audience that, you know, that, that they need that in there in order to think, oh, this is a book I will like. I think that sometimes it is purposeful and thoughtful. Like when you think of Meg Wolitzer's The Wife, it literally is about her role and how she has operated in relationship to her husband. That's true. Yeah. When did that book come out? I actually tried to read that the other night. I I decided I was going to read it before I saw the movie. And then I like was running out of time and I just watched the movie, but I think (laughs) I still may read it. So I have the book sitting by my bed, but it's got to have been in like the eighties, right? Or nineties. I was going to say the eighties. Yeah. So that was long before this phenomenon. Well, that's one that I think is really good. I really like the wife. And the title's totally merited there. Right. Because right. her role mm-hmm. was to be behind the scenes. Right. 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 Um, I wonder if authors get railroaded into naming these books with the girl, daughter, wife in there, or, <clears throat> you know, it's something that comes up in their marketing meetings with their publicists and with the with the, the publishing house or is it something, you know, was it on the manuscript when they turned it in? Hmm. I think depending on where they are in their career, maybe, I think there's a fair amount of railroading and that market is same thing with the cover. I think marketing plays a really big role in determining books title but i don't know i would love to talk to somebody in marketing and publicity for a publisher i think it would be fascinating i have so many questions (laughs) actually i think we might have some uh, 
some guests in that role who are going to come on the show. So send us your questions. We'll make sure we get them into oh, the uh, interview. Wonderful. And I think oh, I can cool. say from having spoken to, you know, like have done having done interviews with industry people or just talking about the process with books, like it, this, unless you get to be, uh, you know, unless you're a best-selling author, you really don't, especially if you're a debut novelist, you don't have a lot of input into the book's cover. You know, I think, I don't think that anyone wants you to be unhappy with your book's cover, but you're given, you know, you're given some choices. And I think it is like marketing and sales makes a big determination with that. Because I think, I remember talking to some, you know, someone who is in sales and books and they talk about the title, you know, like they really want the title to be bigger and more prominent in the book. So if you're looking across the bookstore, you will see the other mm -hmm. girl, the the wife for so they're really looking I mean because there's so much there's so much politics in terms of book sales and buying space in, in bookstores for wit and product placement like all of these things are sort of determined and paid for and and budgeted like where something is going to go if it's on a front table or if it's on a back table similar to grocery stores like books that are at eye level you know that that space is more valuable. So all of this is like planned and thought about. So when you're dealing with those kinds of factors, I think sometimes you want the title and then depending on whether it's the author who is known, then maybe that's when you get those books where the author name is just like huge and takes up the entire book. Right. Um, like you see that a lot with James Patterson novels because people know who he is. So basically you're not selling whatever. I mean, he has like 200 books, so you're not selling whatever his recent book is you're selling the fact that this is a James Patterson novel and you always know what you're going to get there. I think they do the same thing with, you know, people like Michael Conley and a lot of mystery writers. You get that, the big name treatment. So very quickly, do we want to get into some favorites? The wife was one of mine. Um, I'll throw out the time traveler's life, which I know we talked about on the last show, but um, I oh. love that one. Oh, that's such a good book. Such a good book. What do you think was the title warranted in that, Gail? I think it was because in that case, she really didn't have control. She was the wife of a person a traveler. who, right, who, you know, shifted around and she was sort of forced to just stay behind until he would reappear. So in that case, I kind of felt like it worked. And that book came out a long time ago. So long before this whole trend. So I'm 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 willing to forgive it, although I'm sure there are other titles that would have worked for that book without the word. Yeah, I just read a time travel one. I mean, the one that the time traveler is a guy that I was just talking about and told you back is like here and now and and then. So no no time traveling husband there. Um, and then I just read one about these time travelers, like somehow involved in World War II, they're working on an experiment and these lovers are turned into time travelers. But it's two gay men and that one was Time Was. No time traveling boyfriends or anything like that. So how about you, Catherine? What's a what's a wife girl book that you liked? Um I absolutely loved The Headmaster's Wife. It's by Thomas Christopher Green and it's a not not too big a book. It came out, gosh, I don't know, uh, 2010, somewhere around there. And as it applies to what we're talking about here, 
I think it absolutely it absolutely works. And I loved the book. I may have given it five stars because it is it doesn't have one spoiler, or sorry, twist or two twists. There are three, but it's kind of like literary fiction. And in the beginning, it's written from the perspective of the husband. And it did make me so angry. I mean, it's just really kind of skeevy. He's a headmaster um, and I'm reading it and I'm getting so angry at this character that I really thought, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to keep going. And then I started part two and literally everything, it was like a snow globe. Everything got switched upside down and shaken. And I was like, oh, whoa. Okay, wait. This is not what I thought it was. And then the third part did it again. And yes, the title is very apropos. It's, I thought it was an amazing, amazingly well-written book. And it's not, it's not a thriller. It's, it's literary fiction. By the very end, the title is very tender. It, it's really bittersweet once you finish the book and realize what exactly you've just read and experienced. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm so I glad understand. to hear that. I think I wanted to read The Headmaster's Wife. I'm reading his second book. This is what I do. I want to read other books and I'm finally, I'm reading his book, It's the Perfect Liar. I don't know if it'll be um, as good as this one sounds, but it's by the same author. So I'm excited about that. I just, yeah, I just finished that one and I've already read four or five books since then. So I, I liked it. Right. I, mean, I haven't loved any of his books as much as The Headmaster's Wife, but The Perfect Liar is more of a, a kind of a psychological thriller. But right. I did think it was good. So. Well, I will add that one to my list. So it sounds like we're kind of confused concluding that there are times when using that theme is appropriate and we appreciate that, but that overall we're not necessarily a fan of the trend, especially when it's used either gratuitously or to perpetuate this women as victim theme that we're seeing so much in fiction right now. I think it's abused a lot in mystery thrillers, mm -hmm. I agree. psychological suspense, yeah. historical fiction and I almost want to give it a little bit more of a pass because of the way women restricted at that time. So literally they probably, you know, it was someone's wife, daughter, sister, you know, some man, some artist, some King, <laughs> no, I, you know, I they could still be more, historical. definitely be more creative with that. I mean, cause other titles what, like the crimson petal or whatever, I do think that there is something about naming a book and, and saying what the role is that is sort of shorthand for what a book might be about. That is, that, that happens a lot, but it is, it does seem like it's particularly egregious. Like what Gail was talking about when women don't have agency, when they're the victims of something terrible. And when they're completely unreliable. Right. right? Because you look at Gone Girl, um, The Wife Between Us, an anonymous girl, there's a lot of 
unreliable characters in there. And in regards to historical fiction, Nicole, you just reminded me of what I thought was a great alternative um, because women were so often second or behind their husband. I really enjoyed The Other Einstein, which I thought mm. was a great title because it was about his wife, right. his first wife. And it was so well done. So in that case, they didn't feel the need to call it Einstein's wife or, or you know, to indicate that they called it, the title is The Other Einstein. And it really is such a good book about how smart she was and how she contributed. It, it's great historical fiction. Great. Well, I think we've exhausted the, uh, this topic. We're certainly going to be on the lookout for new uh, girl wife books, and I'm sure we'll be bringing them up. We'll do like a, a regular watch feature on the podcast where we keep track yeah. of all the new ones. We're trying to be coming. timely. I'm, I, I know we have some more good contributions, so we'll ask Catherine if she, can, if she thinks of any that she really liked. If she could um, let uh, let us know, and then oh, sure. and we and we'll share them in the future as Gail and I are discovering ones that we consider worthy and ones <laughs> that are just taking advantage, shamelessly taking advantage of a trend. Right. I was going to say it could be kind of a take it or leave it thing. Here's the ones you should take, and here's the ones that really right. are just taking advantage. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So before we sign off, we just want to thank our listeners for listening, as always, to the show. And um, if you don't mind, take a second to leave us a review. That's always really helpful for us, and it helps other listeners uh, find out about the show and hopefully decide to listen to it. Um, if you have bookish friends who you think would enjoy adding another book-related podcast to their uh, rotation, please let them know about the show, too. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for taking time uh, out of your snowy morning to join us on the show. Um, for everyone who wants to check out Catherine's site, it is it's just gilmoreguide.com. Is that right? It's Gilmore Guide to Books. Oh, Gilmore Guide to Books. And that's G-I-L-M-O-R-E, gilmoreguidetobooks.com. So definitely check it out. And thank you. Oh, we're so glad to have you. This was so much fun. No, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. It was wonderful. Thanks for inviting me. Um, Well, we're glad to have you, and we will check in with you soon and find out what you're reading. And hopefully, maybe we'll catch a glimpse of you um, at Book Expo if you decide to go this year. Oh, I wish. It would be lovely. Maybe next year. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about the reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.